Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney and joining me on the line, fresh out of bed at his parents' house, we have Ethan Sachs. Well, there's no place like home for the holidays. Yeah, buddy, I'm living the dream. I'm playing magic in my parents' basement as a 30-year-old. Awesome. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, I uh, came came home to New Jersey, spent some time with my parents before Christmas. Um, so if you hear any ambient noise, it's like the furnace, it's them rustling around upstairs. So just like, just lock in for a fun day at the Saxes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, stayed up till 4 a.m. last night streaming. We had, <laughs> had some viewer hype. I was riding about 200 viewers for, you know, four or five hours there towards the end once caleb and lsv got off and woke up this morning at 9 a.m played some table tennis and i am fired up and ready to go the question that everyone wants to know is did you win at the table tennis the sports tennis the sports tennis i did mostly win at the sports tennis yes oh nice won more than i lost i was actually a 66 percent win rate i won we put we played doubles with four people and we rotate so two of the two of the people i won with one of the people i lost with nice Well, we've got a lot of housekeeping to get through today at the start of the show, and the first thing that we want to discuss is our very exciting Patreon page. Yes, that's right. We do have a way to support the show. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is a way for you to give back to the show monetarily. If you so choose, the show will always be free, but we give you a little bit of some perks, like getting access to our show notes, getting access to a little pre-show recording, and more importantly, getting a shout out on the show. So we wanted to thank our new patrons this week, Adrian, Norman, Sean, and Han. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us. Yes, cannot say thank you enough. We really, really, really appreciate it. We also have our XLN treasure hunt ending. Ended on December 20th, so we are going to wrap that up here uh, and do our giveaway. So uh, we only had one person do more than five, and that person was Generation D20. However, he crushed it. Got 17 out (laughs) of the 18 achievements on his own, which is absolutely insane the only one he did not get was give me your loot that was uh stealing something your opponent controls with admiral beckett brass everything else he crossed off which is awesome uh thank you so much for doing the treasure hunt generation d20 uh tons of fun really appreciate you supporting it um and quickly i want to run through everyone else that participated uh, and how many achievements they got uh strix familiar two achievements crash of rhinos two achievements rosa 2058 one achievement sparrows rum another streamer uh, Crash of Rhinos also streams. Sparrow's Rum, uh, one achievement. Lord Tupperware also got more than five, but he's not eligible, so he's he's not getting any giveaways. He got seven, LT, seven, uh, DC Sports, eight, three, Ehedud, three, myself, three, Mr. Ducky, one, D-Shiles, two, and Master Jareth, one. Nice. Thanks, everyone, for participating. That was super fun to see on Twitter. Yeah, that was awesome. Like, especially the first three weeks when everyone was like posting them, like I just kept logging onto Twitter because I wanted to see more screenshots. Yeah, super cool. Since Generation D20 uh, was the only one that got fire more, he's going to get all four draft sets of Ixalan from us. So congratulations, Generation D20. 
And thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. So that also means that we are going to be doing our 18-hour stream. We've set a date, Wednesday, December 27th, from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the front nine hours are going to be on my channel, twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. The last nine hours are going to be on Mr. Metronome's channel, twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. So please, please come hang out with us. It's going to be an extreme aganza. Yes, and we also have a huge perk for you. Uh, we had a very generous donation from one of our listeners of the podcast of Power 9 to the show. So we're going to be doing a giveaway during the 18-hour stream, uh, and we're going to be doing a giveaway every two hours, one of the nine pieces of power. So come hang out, and you will be eligible for a chance to win. We hope to see you there. Yeah, and we also have something very exciting for the show today. We have a guest, our first ever guest with both Lords of Limited hosts on. Uh, you may have seen him lurking or instructing in our Twitch chats. You may have seen his amazing articles on Star City Games. We'd like to give a warm Lords of Limited welcome to Ryan Sachs. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Hey, man. It's good to, good to have you. You're all done with finals now, yeah? Finally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was It was a brutal couple weeks, but Moto is reinstalled, and... Uh, We've, we've been cubing a lot, yeah. Excellent. Well, we could we should uh, dive into the uh, trophy leaderboard update before we get into our exciting show with you. Uh, ben, how have the mean streets of Vintage Cube been treating you? Yeah, started off a little rocky. Uh, some 2-1 finals losses and then a couple 1-2s and then pulled out two trophies. And then I drafted a very sweet Storm deck that was way too much deck for me to handle. Uh, 1-2'd with that. And then I 1-2'd uh, the deck that we drafted together on stream last night. So I have... Two trophies in nine drafts, a couple other finals appearances, a 16 and 11 record for a 59% overall win rate. Nice. I have not gotten to cube that much, it looks like. I've only gotten six drafts under my belt, uh, two trophies, so a 13 and 5 record, 72% win rate. Can we just pause for a second and let the world know that I have currently done more drafts in a format than the great <laughs> Ethan Sachs? <laughs> that has never happened before on this podcast. That's true. That's true. We can compare our Ixalan numbers. You have 92 drafts. I have 200. I didn't even update this. I think it's like 220 now or something. Jesus, I you're a monster. Drafted that format more than anyone on this planet, I think. Ryan, how about you? You have any uh, any sweet tales of, of Cube or updates to the trophy leaderboard? Uh, for Cube, I believe I have two trophies. I'm not exactly sure my exact win rate. I've done about seven drafts, I think. It would be like 14-7. I've been doing a lot of 2-1s, and I think I have the same number of trophies as I have 1-2s, so should be uh, an, an exact even split. But as far as, like, tails, probably one of my favorite cube moments actually happened already. I posted this to Twitter. I uh, I had a Consecrated Sphinx, and my opponent had a Consecrated Sphinx, and I cast uh, Emrakul the Promised End, took their turn, and made them draw their deck. Oh, that's dirty yeah that is filthy that was sweet <laughs> ben what did you do with uh, a mind slavered opponent <laughs> we yeah we we double achievemented in one game uh <laughs> i mind slavered my opponent ultimate of their own liliana and targeted them with it made them sacrifice all their permanents uh so they had no board and then what was oh and, and we had the mind slaver lock so they they quit after that but we also had enough mana to do the mind slaver lock so won the game with opponent controlling no permanence and we we got the mind slaver lock achievement crossed off cube is wonderful all this vintage cube talk is reminding me of something very exciting that happened for the podcast a couple days ago which was that our 25th episode vintage cube crash course was featured on the mothership was featured on dailymtg.com so thank you to whoever out there made that decision and put it on there uh, i know blake rasmussen is the editor-in-chief so if if he's the one to thank thank you blake if someone gave it blake's way then thank you to that person and hopefully we're welcoming a few new listeners so uh uh, hopefully we outlined some good things about cube for you last week and we want to see your degenerate screenshots on twitter or in our email or wherever you so choose to put those we're really excited to see what gross things people are doing with this powered cube this season absolutely so ryan for those who don't know you or don't know the the articles that you write on star city games or don't know your incredible advice that you can provide people in twitch chat can you perhaps give a little bit of background on your history with the game uh, sure. Like most people, I've come to Magic in patches. So I, I started about 11 years ago around Cold Snap, which was just at, you know, I went to sleepaway camp and people played Magic there. My parents sent me an Oroch starter deck, which is like a sort of green tribal creatures. And I just, I got hooked pretty, pretty quickly. Played casually up until about college um, when I found out my roommate played started going to a local game store. That's when I got introduced to drafting. And if anybody knows me, that's that's about all I do now. So it sort of progressed with a break here or there. I took a break, you know, in high school to college. And then 
I started actually playing way, way too much uh, at one point in college and had to take a break for a couple months again. And when I really got into magic, so after all the, you know, playing with friends, casual, when I started, you know, going to GPs, PPTQs, RPTQs, and so on, uh, would have been around Shadows Over Innistrad uh, was when I really, I would say that's when I sort of first leveled up, which isn't actually that long ago. And since, and it's actually directly correlated with me installing Magic Online, which uh, just because I got to um, play at such a higher frequency, from there, I just started making friends. Actually, I think that's what I'm most thankful for in Magic, is that I've jumped from friend group to friend group of people who play this game, and you meet so many interesting people. Um, Everybody has their own story, their job, their interests, and you really get to grow as a person through interacting with other people. And so that's sort of like the background with the game. And then what I really enjoy now, even more than playing, is probably writing. So I started writing articles for a website that is run by someone at NYU, actually. It's called Spellsnare.com. And I started, I think, about a year and a half ago just writing articles. I thought it would be fun, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, It got me thinking in a really intense way about the game where I sort of had to understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. From there, I just eventually moved to, to Star City because they, they found one of my articles through a friend who uh, used to write for Star City, and the rest is history. I've just been writing for them for about a year now, and I, I love it. That's awesome. That's great. So you have a lot of really interesting articles that have appeared on Star City Games. Your most recent one is sort of the spark for this episode about drafting with preferences. Can you outline that concept for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, probably my favorite concept. In drafting, and it's the idea that you should actually embrace your own biases. So a lot of people will tell you, oh, you bias towards control or you bias towards aggro. It's really important to understand that so that you can suppress it. That's what people will tell you because you should always draft properly, draft what's open, draft what you're supposed to draft. And while there's certainly merit there, I'm not advocating hard forcing any strategies, you have a bias towards aggressive decks because you enjoy playing them and you're good at playing them. And you can alter the way that you draft because you're simply more likely to end up in an aggressive deck if you like aggressive decks. So you change the way that you draft, not to guarantee you end up within that strategy, but just to make it more likely that you play the cards that you pick. Yeah. And so this would be what you were talking about where you're staying open and drafting perfectly. That would be like a really, there's a really famous article by Ben S called Drafting the Hard Way, right? Wonderful article. Yeah, it's awesome. Fantastic article. Uh, We can link it in the show notes. That would be like drafting the perfect way. And then you're talking about biasing. And I think this is one of like hanging out with you and interacting with you on Twitch is one of the biggest ways I've leveled up is I've started to embrace this concept of drafting with preferences. For example, I think that's why I've done so well in Ixalan. Like once we did the beard episode and I started slanting my picks towards drafting aggro, drafting one with the wind, and really wanting to end up in aggro, if you do that, like, we're not full forcing, but if you bias your picks that way, it makes it much more likely if, like, in a format, you can identify what the optimal strategy is and then bias towards that optimal strategy, I think your win rate's going to go up. I agree. It's what I do in most formats is try and figuring out the overlap between what's good, what I like, and how exactly I can shift the way that I draft to increase the probability that I end up in a deck that meets that overlap. Yeah, it's it's really smart. I'm going to second Ben's point about it being a huge level up for me. One of the things that I really appreciated, and we've talked about this on the show before, but uh, specifically from you and from Sasha, also known as Ed, dude on Twitch, and Panda the Nice One on Twitter, uh, that both of you guys are very uh, fluid in your your evaluations of draft picks it's very subjective not objective which is a a breath of fresh air in the magic community it feels like there's a lot of black and white right and wrong in terms of pick orders and and what is correct to take in a draft and both of you guys have a very different approach and it's always in my opinion this is right but like this comes down to preference or sometimes people will post deck lists and we're trying to figure out the 22nd, 23rd card or what to cut. And you're always just like, this just comes down to preference. So it feels like you're very aware at multiple stages of the draft, how personal preference comes into play with like picking these final cards. Absolutely. I think that personally, uh, I had a very similar level up to exactly what you're describing, where I was drafting with uh, Christian Calcano. um, And he described the same thing where he's just sort of at certain stages going with his gut. And I started embracing that immediately. 
Um, so whenever I'm deciding between two picks, even if a pick order that uh, is well known would suggest one way, I just look at the two cards and what does my gut tell me to take? I'm not going to question it. I'm going to take it because that's going to align more with what I want to do. And that really has improved my drafting skills. Yeah, I also want to tack on here. Like, I think, you know, for our beard episode, I think that was a pretty iconic episode uh, for figuring Mm -hmm. out the Ixalan format. And a lot of that was you and a head dude, like relaying information to us and us packaging it very neatly in the beard philosophy. So how, and I think you're, that's a strength of both of yours is like figuring out what's good in a format. Like, how do you, like, what, how does that work for you? Like when you sit down to play a new format? So you mean like when, when a new format starts, just so I understand the question, how am I approaching it to try and figure out what's good that people might not think is good? Yeah. So the first thing that I really try and do is understanding the way that all of the commons interact. Um, One of the first things I noticed about this format was how clunky the removal was. And once I identified that as something about the format, I realized that, well, as per usual, people may be picking removal highly, right? I think at the beginning of the format, a lot of people weren't unhappy to first pick the card Unfriendly Fire. Yes, myself included. Yeah, and now that we know a lot about the format, it's hard to imagine first picking Unfriendly Fire. And this was something that I was able to identify early by just looking at all the cards. You realize that the creatures, they're not, they're not that great. I think when you really look at all the commons in this set, you realize that everything's kind of like a 2-2 and a 3-3. Yeah, even at, from 2 mana to 5 mana. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why the card Grazing Whiptail has so overperformed. Mm-hmm. It's just like a 3-4 reach just sort of dominates a battlefield. And when you realize all of that plus clunky removal, well, then things like One with the Wind do go up in value because people aren't going to necessarily be able to kill it so early since the removal is expensive. And also because the removal is clunky and not good, you're not going to play against a deck that's chock full of removal either. It also makes cheap combat tricks tricks like Sure Strike and Vampire Zeal Yes. So, like, they are basically removal in the format. You know, LSV is called Vampire Zeal Swords to Plowshares multiple times. Like, mm-hmm. and it, he's not wrong. Like, getting uh, those cheap combat tricks as essentially cheap removal is uh, is a really big shift for this format, I think. Absolutely. So the one thing that I say that I would do differently that I would really advocate for that a lot of people don't is when you start drafting a format, I pay more attention to my opponent's decks than I do mine. Ooh, interesting. I'm drafting the way that I want to draft. I'm usually trying to figure things out. So at the beginning of this format, I had an inkling that One with the Wind was going to be good because of the way that I looked at the commons. And because people didn't think it was good, I would always get it. And then I really learned quickly how good the card was. But for example, Dive Down, I completely dismissed. Yet it wasn't too long before my opponent's started getting me with Dive Down. I would play a Pious Interdiction, and they would just counter it for one mana. And I would play it before combat, and now their thing has plus three toughness, and I couldn't attack anymore either. And I I really advocate for, if you think you are losing to a bad card, don't dismiss it as, oh, my opponent put this bad card in my deck, in their deck. Instead, ask yourself why that card beat you, and when you do that, you can assess maybe, in this specific format, that card's not a bad card. And it really gets you to reassess evaluations quickly because you'll only, if you only assess the cards that you have access to through your draft, that's substantially less than all of the opponents you play against in any given, given draft. So the whole point is that when you're playing against people, it's data. And the more data that you get, the quicker you can get to the point where you fully understand a format. Yes, I remember a specific interaction with you very early on in the format where we were talking about Pirates Cutlass. I had identified the pirates like I was I was not like it took me a little bit to get on the pirates cutlass train longer than it should have probably. And I was playing and I lost to pirates cutlass like several times like and I had identified that that card was the reason that I lost the matchups, but I didn't make the leap to like, maybe I should be picking pirates cutlass higher if this is the card I keep losing to. And you and I were talking about that and you pointed that out. And that that I think is a big takeaway from me from my interactions with you and from this format, like that I'm going to try to pay more attention to what's causing me to lose and be much more willing to reevaluate my pick orders. Now, when you are looking at 
a new set like Ixalan and you come to these conclusions like the beard philosophy, like taking one with the wind and pirates cutlass highly and that removal is clunky and combat tricks are perhaps replacing removal. How does that then translate to your evaluation of the next set? Are there takeaways? Do you now just go like, oh, like a card like pirates cutlass in this set is good. So it's going to be good in future sets as well. Hmm. That's a really good question. So every, every set sort of provides a new outlook on limited. You know, if you pay attention to the last couple of years, auras are getting slightly better. And about five years ago, maybe removal was efficient and auras weren't as good. And now that the removal gets clunkier, they get better. And so each set provides a new aspect, a new way of thinking about limited. And I do try and take that to the next one, although it's important not to take it too strongly. A lot of uh, almost everything in magic isn't black and white. Too many people treat it as black and white, as we've already said, and I definitely think about it in more fluid terms. And so I don't say, oh, well, one with the wind was good here. That doesn't mean that when we go into the next set, Rivals of Ixalan, that in pack three, you should be taking one with the wind highly. It might be bad now. Mm. But I have seen a window where the card is good, and it increases my ability to evaluate that card. Because we've had, I think, the exact same card in Innistrad, right? Spectral Flight. Yeah. which was not that great. I mean, it was a playable card with certain other cards, but now we have it as where at least I have it as the best blue common and one of the best commons. And it has to do with the different environments. You put the same card in two different environments and you get drastically different outcomes. And the more times you see it, the more of a feel you'll get for how good the card is where. It's hard to really identify what exactly about the card's in the environment, make it that way, other than playing with them, which is why the first week of a format is always so intriguing, because you've seen similar cards before, and now you just have to put them in place with what they're surrounded by. I don't think there's a hard rule that I can say for taking what you've learned from one set and going to the other, other than just being more open-minded. Yes, that's a that's a very big takeaway from my interactions with you, is how... <laughs> how uh willing you are to listen to why somebody's put a card in their deck and whether or not it's right for them and i think what you were just talking about there like in the context of environments for example like the card pounce in this format uh i do think that's one of the reasons like pulling pulling information from old things that i was able to peg in the in the set review that that wasn't great because i just kind of historically fight cards have overperformed when they give power and toughness boosts and underperform when they haven't yes so that led me to well pounce probably isn't going to be great so i'm not going to take it super highly and then it ended up being even worse i think than i thought it was going to be but just i think you need to keep in mind what the effect is and the context like the environment the draft environment that it was in and see if those things match up in the new format right because there's only so many there's going to be aggro formats there's going to be control formats there's going to be mid-range formats so there's only there's a limited number of contexts like each format's different but there's going to be recurring themes uh throughout like recurring generalities absolutely so we will get into the roundtable discussion in just a bit. We've got a couple interesting drafts to get to. But before that, I wanted to get a sense of what your personal preference is, Ryan, what sorts of things you gravitate towards in uh, a draft or gameplay, how you feel you play to your own strengths. Sure. So I lean towards aggressive decks. That's for sure. I do enjoy my dirtling and controlling decks, for sure. But I think that, especially towards my strength in the game, I would say that my biggest strength in technical play is doing combat over multiple turns. Hmm. So there's a great way of thinking about it, actually, where if you ever lose by going to exactly zero, right, exactly zero, it's more likely than not that your opponent figured that out a couple turns ago. Oh, snap. Yeah, that they were playing the game to this point. Maybe they made a weird attack. Maybe they did something. Maybe they made a suicide attack three turns ago that made no sense to you. And then you lose by going to exactly zero because they had a one with the wind in their hand. And they could see over a couple turns that it didn't matter what you do. If I get you to this life total, I can slam this one with the winds and that's it. And so that's something that I'm really good at. And so that tends to reward aggressive decks more because you get to play with your opponent's life total. Um, and you get to think in this sort of way. A lot of people were complaining in Amonkhet that it was too fast. You often died by turn four, turn five, and there weren't that many decisions. But if you played the really aggressive decks in that format, 
on turn two, you had like four or five decisions. And if you played the wrong two drop, you could lose the game because your deck doesn't have staying power, right? After turn six, if your opponent isn't an aggressive deck, it's going to be way harder for you to win. And so understanding how to sequence aggressive plays to maximize damage over a couple turns is something that I'm good at. And I know that. And so I have a preference towards drafting cards that help me do that. It's one of the reasons why I love One with the Wind for exactly the example that I gave. That's so interesting that you brought up uh, red, white, or like just aggro decks in Amonkhet, because I remember one of the first times I was watching Ben's stream way, way back in the day, he had Master Jareth Skyping in, and you guys had drafted some red, white aggro deck, and I think it was exactly on turn two, both of you were remarking like, wow, there are like more decisions in this deck than we've seen in like any other deck we've drafted. You know, like which two drop do you play? Because you're going to pick that card for this turn, and then does that mean you're going to go two drop, one drop cartouche on turn three, or are you going to go a different two drop, one drop? Like, there's so many sequencing things in those aggressive decks in the earlier turns that you might take for granted. Right. And one of the things that I think people miss, a lot of people say that they view themselves as a good player and they want to play a deck that goes towards the long game to maximize the number of interactions and decisions so that they can outplay their opponent. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't think there are less decisions in aggressive decks. They're just compounded, right? You have more decisions on the earlier turns. And if you make the wrong ones, they're way, it's way more punishing. It's harder to come back because you don't have so many cards that yield two for ones and can overtake your opponent. But this specific sequencing and taking the correct decisions from turns one through four, you know, you have like six decisions per turn and sure the game might be over on turn five or six, but it probably equals something similar to the amount of decisions made till turn you know, 10 in a more mid-range, normal, limited deck. Yeah, for sure. I have a very important question for you, Ryan. Sure. Do you enjoy playing Mono Red in Vintage Cube? Oh, no. <laughs> Not as much as you would think per this discussion. Oh, that's interesting. I was, gonna, I was ready to pile on. We were going to cut the call right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were going to proceed with uh, just us in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do play Mono Red when it's open, but for me, Vintage Cube, I actually view as more of like a, how do I, I, how do I put this? I think Vintage Cube is a really good you know, tool for exercising creativity. This sort of thing that we're talking about with looking at a format and trying to figure out what to do with it. I really enjoy trying to do quirky things in cube, finding little interactions or archetypes that might not exist. And so I often spend time trying to do that. Because of that, I don't end up drafting mono red. I do enjoy it when I play it. <laughs> I'll say that, but I don't draft it that much. I think vintage cube or cubes in general are the best playgrounds for figuring out your own preferences. Yeah. Because there's no format where like power level is like out the window because everything is so powerful. And so it just really comes down to like your own preferences. Like you can see, well, these like four picks are probably the pick in this pack, but what do I want to play with? What am I going to feel comfortable with? What do I enjoy doing? Because the more you enjoy it, the more you are going to be focused and the better you're going to be at playing with the deck, you know? I just think Cube is such a great instructing tool for figuring out your own preferences. Well, and also just like, deck building too right like oh, you, yeah. you have to draft a deck like you have to you have to make discipline picks and like pick mana mana dorks over dragons and you have to like you really have to draft a deck i think that's the number one thing that's going to bump your win rate up in a cube if you're new to cube or struggling you just gotta like if you just sat down and say i want to draft a control deck or i want to draft a green red aggro deck and you try to take like you're probably not going to get cut because all the cards are so busted like you just if you just draft a deck you're probably going to do well too I think that that can even be applied to Ixalan drafts as well. I mean, people seem to be, I've written this format off a long time ago. We've talked about it a lot. I feel like we're Ixalan apologists on this show, but <laughs> I think that picks coming down to like Stormfleet Spy versus Water Trap Weaver, right? There's, they're both two mana two two or three mana two twos in blue, but like depending on where your deck is going, one of those cards is going to be strictly better than the other one. Depending on if you are aggressive, care about pirate synergies, you're going to want the spy. Depending if you have Merfolk synergies and are aggressive, you may want the Water Trap Weaver. If you are defensive, you're definitely going to want the Water Trap Weaver over the Stormfleet Spy. Like, there are a lot of different things to think about rather than just, like, raw power level of, like, which is better in a vacuum, because that's not actually helpful. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I agree. I actually think you can even extrapolate broader than that. And uh, this is one of the reasons why preferences is something that I really feel strongly about towards upping your limited game. I think regardless of the limited format, you can 
approach it similarly to the way that you would approach Q in the sense that you can sit down and say, all right, what do I want to do? Now, you can't, unlike cube, you can't say, I'm going to force mono red because you can sort of do that in cube where it's like, I'm going to be blue-white control. And because all of the cards are all so good, it doesn't really matter. You'll be able to put something together and you can't be that harsh in mm-hmm. most limited sets, but you can bias yourself towards what you want to do, and it may not be the best thing to do. I'm not trying to say you should force, but I think it's a good exercise. Often, especially late in the format, um, and I think I was on one of your streams saying this, I'll go into a draft saying, okay, what do I feel like doing? Let's design an archetype around it. And instead of instead of saying, oh, I'm going to be blue-red, you say, okay, well, maybe I want to make the card makeshift munitions work. All right, what are the different color combinations and cards that go up in value, can I come up with four or five different kinds of decks that can utilize this card to good ability? And then if I bias my drafting and I change the weights of the different cards such that should I see the card makeshift munitions, I should be able to maximize how good it is. And maybe if I don't, I still end up with a good deck. You can certainly draft that way in any format. Well, I can't think of a better way to transition into our roundtable than that. So we're going to look at a couple Ixalan drafts that you've got for us here, Ben, yeah? Yeah, these are drafts that I did that we're going to take through here uh, and see see how close our preferences align. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're starting off cards in contention in our first pack here. A Legion Conquistador, two and a white for the 2-2 Vampire, that when it enters the battlefield, you can search up any other number of Legion Conquistadors. Dive down, single blue for the instant. Target creature you control gets plus O plus three and hexproof until end of turn. Depths of Desire, two and a blue for the instant. Bounce a creature and create a treasure token. Tempest Caller, two blue blue for a two three when it enters the battlefield. Tap all creatures target opponent controls. Raptor Hatchling, one and a red for the one one dinosaur. When it is dealt damage, you create a three three green dinosaur creature token with trample. And Grim Captain's Call, Two and a black, sorcery, return one of each of the four creature types, one of each of the four tribes, to your hand. Ryan, what do you think about this pack? Well, usually I'd like to have some better options to start off a draft, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. But the interesting thing about this pack is that uh, out of all those options, certain things like, I don't even see Grim Captain's Call. And that's just <laughs> that's just because like in the decks that I draft, it's just n- almost never playable. Not saying it's not playable in some decks, but I'm just not likely to end up there. Out of all of these cards, I, I just want to take the one with the highest ceiling. So I'd probably be on Tempest Collar, just because it has the highest ceiling out of all of them. It's the least replaceable. After that, I know this might sound crazy. I might actually be on Dive Down. Ooh, I like that. Dive Down's great. I have found more and more in, in decks when I do end up in the beard strategies these days that all I want, I just desperately want to dive down and I can't get them. Like I used to be cutting them. I used to have Siren Storm Tamers and Dive Downs galore to protect my suited up creatures. And now that just is, is not as likely as it was before. But I don't know if I'd be willing to first pick it here. I, I'm, am I in that depth of desire, guys? You know, it says it makes it, <laughs> it makes a treasure. You know, you know, what treasures let you do is just splish splash around. They do. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not crazy about Tempest Collar. I feel like I agree it has the highest ceiling, but it also, is a very narrow card, and I feel like I would be moving off of Tempest Caller more often than not by first picking it. But I, I, I don't know. I, I can't can't fault you for it, and I also feel like I want to be a little contrarian, so I think I, I would be on Depths of Desire here. I ended up on Tempest Caller uh, for the same reasons Ryan listed. I thought it was just the highest power level card in the pack, uh, but Depths of Desire makes sense to me. Moving onwards to pack one, pick two cards you see that are in contention uh there's a bishop soldier one in a white for the two two lifelinker shapers of nature one blue green for the three three merfolk shaman uh it's got two activated abilities three and a green put a plus one plus one counter onto a creature two and a blue remove a plus one plus one counter from a creature to draw a card and you see lightning rig crew two and a red for the o5 goblin pirate and you can tap to deal one damage to each opponent, and when you cast a pirate spell, it untaps. I think with Ryan on the podcast, we also have to mention that Swashbuckling is in the pack. Oh my One god. Get, <laughs> get out the aura. That is not Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, it has haste. I may have been looking at it. <laughs> so with your Tempest Caller, where are you at in this pack? I think, you know, Shapers of Nature is such a good magic card. There's a lack of mana sinks in this format, and it's one of the best ones. The things that I'm looking at in this pack are Shapers of Nature or Bishop Soldier. I love 
Bishop Soldier. That card, it's just, you know, there's the groan test, right? Anytime someone casts that card on turn two against me, I groan. Yeah. It's just such, you just have to, like, drudge through it, and that card's just unbelievably good. And I really like blue-white. But if the person to my right is paying attention to what they're sending, they might be noting, okay, I passed the Shapers of Nature, so someone next to me is going to try and be Merfolk, so maybe I should avoid it. Uh, And if that happens, you can get really rewarded because Merfolk, if you're the only drafter at the table, is a real good deck. So I think I'd just follow up my Tempest Caller, which is a Merfolk, with the Merfolk Gold Uncommon. Yeah, I feel like, I think it was you early in the format or or early in your your introducing me to the the Beard philosophy. You mentioned that you thought Shapers of Nature was not great in green-blue. That like the act like it's a three mana three three which is great it's sort of like above rate in this format but that the activated abilities don't often come up because Merfolk is such an aggressive deck um, maybe there's like a bit of threat of activation there but you're not really going off with Shapers of Nature in a Merfolk deck or at least that's been my experience do do you guys feel differently it doesn't like uh, you know take over the game in the same way that it does in like these decks that I see you drafting on stream mm-hmm. but the the threat of activation is real the card's really good yeah but there are plenty of times where I've had situations in pack three where I've taken a River Herald's Boon over it or a One with the Winds over it. You know, there there are certain cards that have a little bit more of a punch when you're in the aggressive Merfolk deck. Um, One thing to note, though, is in pack one, it's so important to find the right lane that taking the gold uncommon, you know, so that there's less of a chance that the person that someone downstream from you uh, will take it does also have value. You know, it's not like I think the card's overrated. I do believe that, but it's Mm -hmm. still very good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm taking Shapers of Nature here, no contest, but especially with either one of the blue cards, Tempest Caller or Depth of Desire in my pile, I'm definitely slamming the Shapers here. Yep, that's what I did as well. Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards in contention. Territorial Hammer Skull, two and a white for two, three. When it attacks, tap target creature and opponent controls. Run aground, three and a blue, instant speed, put target artifact or creature on top of its owner's library prosperous pirates ethan four and a blue for a three four enters the battlefield you make two treasure uh there's another tempest caller there's a lookouts dispersal two and a blue for an instant uh it costs one less to cast if you control a pirate and you counter target spell unless they pay four and our rare got a spicy one growing rights of itlamok two and a green for the legendary enchantment when it enters the battlefield, put the top four cards. Good lord, that's too small. I can't even read that over here. Ben, I could do it from memory. You're <laughs> you're a disgrace. I've never it's cast this card. a vintage cube worthy card, you guys. It really is. All right, so why don't you just tell the listeners what it does? I give up. This is probably right, too small. All right, guys. rights of it, Lamarck. <laughs> Two and a green. Legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. At the beginning of your end step, if you control four or more creatures you flip it i actually don't know what the what is card it's like itlamok the growing spring or something uh it's a legendary land it taps for a green mana or it taps for a green mana for each creature you control yep you can tell by my familiarity with that card that it was not my pick that is <laughs> insane all right ryan what, what do you think about this pack we got a, a lot of different choices here i think oh yeah there's um there's some stuff in this pack i think that territorial hammer skull is one of the best cards in the entire format and mm-hmm. this also showcases my preference towards aggressive decks, right? If you know that you don't end up in aggressive decks often, you're still going to be high on Hammer Skull, just maybe not as high as I am. Whereas I almost always end up in a deck that wants to be attacking. And even though, yes, I went blue card into blue-green card, blue-white is still fine, and even just white anything. I think it's important to actually note about this pack that two commons are missing. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't many... I mean, like Cutlass I would take over Hammer Skull, and... I would take one with the wins over it, but I don't think the rest of the world would. And so I think that there's a, I mean, the person, the people next to me could have taken a foil, but a hammer skull pick three with all commons missing is, you know, it it raises a bell in my head of, okay, maybe white's going to flow. And that combined with it being just a great card is it's certainly what I'm going to pick here. That's interesting. I would assume with Tempest Caller into Shapers of Nature that you would be on Tempest Caller here. Do you not like them in multiples, or you just think Hammer Skull is that much of a signal? So, uh, it's sort of a combination of both. I mean, having access to multiple Tempest Callers is definitely a thing, um, but depending on the different decks that you get, it might not be necessary, right? Let's say you get one with the wins and stuff, and Jade Guardian's probably just going to be better in that slot now. And there are only so many four drops you can play when you end up in the Merfolk deck or any 
you know, aggressive deck that is going to try and abuse Tempest Caller. Um, and I think if you play it in the non-aggressive decks, you don't want multiples. So I'm not really on taking the second Tempest Caller here, especially this early in the draft. Makes sense. Ben, where, where, where were you at in this pack? I was struggling in this pack. Uh, I really wanted to stay on the blue-green plan for a little bit. I wasn't quite willing to branch out for Hammer Skull here. And I was torn between... I also didn't want a second Tempest Caller. I was torn between Lookout's Dispersal and Run Aground. Um, and I ended up settling on Lookout's Dispersal because it's like one mana cheaper. And like Merfolk a lot of times wants to play a tempo game. I think it's just probably a better card than Run Aground. It was really close for me, though. But in Merfolk, is it better than Cancel, which is in the pack? I think it is. It's easier to cast. I think that's that's huge. So for counter target spell, unless it's controller pays four, is almost always canceled. Almost. Almost. Sometimes it's not, but the being able to cast it early, consistently, especially because sometimes the Merfolk decks really have to lean green for the one drop slot if you get Kumena Speakers, Jungle Delvers, and so on, that the double blue can be an issue because you often want to be playing 16 lands with a 9-7 mana base with 9 green, 7 blue. Um, and that really makes Cancel struggle a bit more. Wow, you're really thinking like 18 steps ahead there. That's I really, really like that. I think, I mean, it's clear from my rote memory <laughs> of what the text of the card is that I'm taking Growing Rights of Itlamok. And I want to defend that pick because I think it's probably like not correct, quote-unquote. But my experience with the decks that I like to draft, which are like sort of the Sultai-based control decks, the things that are hard to get for that deck are mana sinks and the two that i talk about all the time are shapers of nature and thundering spineback and we already have a shapers of nature in the pile and growing rights of itlamok goes so well with those mana sinks because you're able to just like dump a bunch of mana into either making counters for your creatures or drawing cards or making dinos with the spineback that i think growing rights is a really uh good card and i think i'm gonna wheel a dirtle card out of this pack like there's so many blue cards i think prosperous pirates is coming around yeah you could be set up to go off for sure all right, moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. Shipwreck Looter, one in a blue for a 2-1. Human Pirate, when it enters the battlefield, uh, if you attacked, you get to loot. New Horizons, two in a green for the enchant land. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control, and the land can tap for two mana of any one color. There's another Depths of Desire, another Lightning Rig Crew, and I think that's about it that's in contention here. What do you like out of this pack, Ryan? Hmm. Probably nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the options that I have here, but that happens sometimes. That's just the way that the packs roll. For me, in what I have currently, in the way that I've drafted, right, which would be Tempest Caller into Shapers of Nature into Hammer Skull, I think I'm almost certainly taking a blue card. Lightning Rig Crew is probably the best card in the pack, but to be honest, I've gone down on the card. I was really high on it at the beginning of the format, um, but now it's just, it's okay, it's fine. It does its job, but it's not really a card that makes me want to branch out into another color at this point. So what I'm looking at is Depths of Desire and Shipwreck Looter. I think that either are defensible. I would probably be taking Depths here for two reasons, and this has to do with how I like to draft these kinds of decks. Given what I have, I'm trying to either go blue-white or go towards Merfolk, right? And... In Merfolk, there are plenty of two drops, and Shipwreck Looter would not be one of the best, and I don't really want to pick it up that early. Um, and specifically for Blue White, one of the things that I've had a lot of success with actually is splashing for Anointed Deacon, which you can usually pick up because it's a common at some point, unless there are multiple vampire uh, drafters at the table. And so having access to a couple of tempo cards that do make treasures things like Depths of Desire can be really important. So I believe that's what I'm on here. That's interesting. I would think that you would find the the bounce spells replaceable because there's also Run Aground and Perilous Voyage uh, available to you in uh, the common and uncommon level. But that makes a lot of sense to me that you value the treasure making pretty highly over over grabbing a, a random two mana two one. Mm -hmm. I actually value Depths of Desire, the first copy at least, better than both of those other cards for exactly that reason. Yeah. I mean, I'm either taking, I think I'm just taking New Horizons over Depths <laughs> here so that I can cement myself in some sort of green, splashing, ramping nonsense deck. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like I'm halfway, like if we're talking about preferences, I feel like I'm yeah. halfway in between the two of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm fine playing an aggro deck. I'm fine playing a control deck. But as we found out recently, I'm not really a true lover of the Dirtle. No. But I did I did hedge here a little bit, and I ended up settling on New Horizons uh, because I know that goes very well with Shapers of Nature in the Dirtle ramp control decks. 
Um, and I, I figured I probably wasn't going to miss Shipwreck Looter in a Merfolk deck. So I settled on New Horizons there as well. Yeah, it's funny because like for me, at least looking at this pack, I don't even see the New Horizons really. I understand that it's an option, but... Uh, You're just off green, right? Yeah, it's just not... I very rarely end up in a green deck that can abuse New Horizons. That's not to say that I don't end up in non-aggro decks. Sometimes I end up in a mid-range or control deck. It's just not green. All right, one more pick here. We got pack one, pick five. Uh, you've really just got two choices here. You're trying to decide, but I think it's an interesting choice. You're trying to decide between a Shaper Apprentice, one in a blue for the two one that has flying when you control another Merfolk, and River Herald's Boon, one in a green for the instant, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature and target Merfolk. This is really close, um, at least for me, right? Because I'm right now I have uh, a white card, a blue green card, two blue cards, and you know I could be staying uh open right with the shapers apprentice with the shaper apprentice because it can go in both decks i already have a merfolk for the uh in tempest caller if i end up blue white and you know you'll play water trap weavers and other shaper apprentices and so on so it's actually a fine card in those kinds of decks but river herald's boon is going to be one of the best cards in the blue green deck and i think it's worth more to even if i don't end up blue green not sending the signal that blue green is open by giving the person to my left a sixth pick river herald spoon and i would just hedge with it i mean i'm gonna take ravenous dagger tooth the part that we didn't <laughs> yeah, even talk not, about not even an option here <laughs> uh, not even an option not even a choice turtle at the window here for me uh once i saw this pick i was it was very close for me also ryan and i ended up settling on the shaper apprentice because i wanted to hedge i don't know i didn't know if i was going to end up in exactly merfolk and i figured if i didn't end up in exactly merfolk that shaper apprentice was going to be better but i think like in hindsight river herald's boon probably the correct pick um it ended up like being results oriented turning out to be very correct uh the rest of this draft uh i settled in a merfolk got another shaper apprentice an old growth dryads that i did play uh, and cast and then a juggle delver to dive down and we yes. just blue green merfolk <laughs> uh from there and i ended up with a very good deck did you live the dream old growth dryads into one with the wind I did not. I don't think. Maybe. I don't remember. I've done that. It's wonderful. Yeah, I still, still never did that. Probably never will. Rip the dream. Yeah, so, and we were, <laughs> we were just talking about, you were on stream the other day, talking about cards that we played uh, and hadn't played, so uh-huh. I guess uh, showcasing our preferences here a little bit, I, I have never cast Growing Rights of Itlamok, and you've never cast Old Growth Dryads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That really does showcase our preferences. I have, I have played it in a deck but i just never got to cast it yeah it's funny because old growth drives is not a good magic card right i've had my opponents cast it against me and it's the only reason i won those matches but i have also put it in my deck i don't think it's actually a one drop when you do play it it's a one drop if you can follow it up with one with wins other than that its purpose is mostly like double spelling on turn four with a three drop plus a three three mm-hmm. also that way they can't utilize the land as well it's not a great card I have <laughs> I have played it. I've only ever put it in my deck if I had multiple copies of One with the Wind. That makes total sense. We've also got another pack here we want to take a look at. This is a stacked pack for sure. Pack one, pick one. You see the following options. Vanquish the Weak, two and a black, instant speed, destroy target creature, power three or less. Pirate's Cutlass, three mana for the equipment. Uh, equip cost of two. Equip creature gets plus two plus one. And when it enters the battlefield, put it on a pirate. Deep Root Warrior, one in a green for the 2-2 Merfolk. Then when it gets blocked, it gets plus one, plus one. Anointed Deacon, four in a black for the 3-3 three, three Vampire. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you can give another Vampire or itself plus two, plus zero oh until end of turn. Savage Stomp, two in a green for the Sorcery. Cost two less to cast if it's targeting a dinosaur you control. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then it fights another creature. Fathom Fleet Captain is our rare, one in a black for the 2-1 Human Pirate with Menace, and when it attacks, if you control another non-token pirate, you can pay 2. If you do, create a 2-2 black pirate token with Menace. Yeesh. Wow, this pack is good. For for me, uh, I think I quickly narrow it down between Fathom Fleet Captain and Pirate's Cutlass. Savage Stomp is one of the green cards I am willing to first pick, so I, I very rarely end up in green, so even though I know that the card's good, I have to weight it less, right? I have to say that even though the card's great, I have to treat it as if it's not as great because it's more, it has a higher chance of ending up in my sideboard than any of the other cards in the pack. And so after checking the rest of the cards, I see that there are cards that I view as better. And so I'm looking at Fathom Fleet Captain and Pirate's Cutlass, which I think is pretty close. Cutlass almost always makes my deck and it's always great, but Captain can just take over the game completely by itself. Even if you end up in Vampires and have like maybe one other pirate or whatever, a two-mana 2-1 two, Menace, you know, it's it's not as good in Vampires because those decks can play the long game, but just a two-mana 2-1 two, Menace is always solid. And when you play it, your opponent 
kind of has to handle it uh, if they, you know, don't know that you might not have that many other pirates to start. And I think that's where I would end. That's interesting. My experience has been different with Fathom Fleet Captain, and I've found it to really be only good in in a, a black blue or a black red deck. Uh, I've been pretty underwhelmed by it in vampire decks. Um, so I, it leads me to the question of like, is Fathom Fleet Captain as pigeonholy as maybe Anointed Deacon is, or do we think it, it leads leaves you a bit more open? I think for me, it's it's not necessarily that it leaves you more open. I mean, I play Anointed Deacon in blue-black, especially if I have one with the wins, seven power in the air is nothing to scoff at. Right. But I think that at least for the decks that I draft, almost all of them would just play the the card two mana, two one menace. Two drops are at a premium. There's not really a cap in this format of the two drops you would play. This one has the chance to be the best card in your deck should you end up with enough pirates. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm willing to take the risk of not playing it for that ceiling. I think there's also something to be said about like, taking Cutlass and passing Captain, Deacon, and Vanquish the Week mm. and letting some people to your left fight over black? Or is that, that's something that I think about? I don't know if I'm, I'm leveling myself. I don't know what you guys think. It's relevant for sure that you're, you know, that you could be pushing people into black. When I do that, I don't necessarily avoid black per se. I think that that's where people can make mistakes where they're like, oh, I'm passing like three good black cards, so I just shouldn't be black. Whereas if you, you can be black and so can someone to your left, as long as you're not, you know, your black-white vampires and their black-white vampires or something like that. But it's definitely relevant and would, you know, I would use as a tie-breaking rule if I'm deciding, if I take Cutlass and the next pick is between, like, a black card and a blue card, and it's close, I'll probably just take the blue card. Right. So I actually ended up uh, on Fathom Fleet Captain here, I think incorrectly. Like, I, I picked it, and then I had a little why me moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wishing I'd taken Pirate's Cutlass. Uh, I think Pirate's Cutlass is probably, I don't know, fe felt to me after I took Fathom Fleet Captain, felt like the objectively correct pick. But this was a super interesting, super hard first pick. And I think on power level, Savage Taunt might be the best card in the pack. It's, it's certainly very, very strong. It's certainly up there for me. You know, actually, another thing to think about is think about just what the black decks are in this format. Mm -hmm. right? Most of the black green decks are these hyper dirtle ramp esh decks where Fathom Fleet Captain's not going to be great. Mm -hmm. And Cutlass is certainly much better in black white. And then in black red and black blue, where most of your cards are pirates, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, sometimes that's the case, Captain is probably going to be better than Cutlass uh, because it can just completely take over the game. But Cutlass is also going to be absurd in those decks. So. It's it's an interesting thought, and it's why I think this pick is so close. There's, like, one deck, right? So there are three decks that you'll play it in, or you, you might, I guess, not play it in Blackwing, depending on your version. Um, and that third deck, Cutlass is going to be very good in. Yeah, I think in the decks where Fathom Fleet Captain's good, Pirate's Cutlass is just great also, and, like, you're 100% to play Pirate's Cutlass, right? Almost. Like, probably, like, 90-95% to put Pirate's Cutlass in your deck. So I, I think Pirate's Cutlass is probably the pick. All right, moving on to pick Two, you see the following options. Another good pack. Uh, Territorial Hammer Skull. Two and a white for the two, three that taps something down. Contract killing. Three black, black. Destroy target creature. Make two treasure tokens. Call to the feast. Two white, black. Create three, one, one, bite. White vampire creature tokens with lifelink. I think those are the three standout cards in the pack. Yeah, I agree. I have a feeling we're not going to have much uh, to discuss here. If I'm taking Hammer Skull, Ryan has to be taking Hammer Skull, right? That would be correct. Okay. <laughs> and I, I also slammed Hammer Skull there. Moving on to pick three. This is where it gets a little more interesting. You see the following options. Water Trap Weaver, two and a blue for the 2-2. Two -two. When it enters the battlefield, tap something down. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. There's a Vampire Zeal, single white, instant speed, target creature gets plus two, plus two. If it was a vamp, it gains first strike. Anointed Deacon, four and a black for the 3-3 three, three vamp. Uh, the beginning of combat, you give target vampire plus two plus O, oh, and I think those are really the only three cards that stand out to me here. I think Tempest Caller is, is worth mentioning, though I'm not sure any of us would take it here. I just think Water Trap Weaver is a better card than Tempest Caller. Yeah, I, I do too, but I'm not. I don't know if people out there do. Where, where, where are you at on this pick, Ryan? I think I'm, I'm actually on Water Trap Weaver here, and so it's again. I, I mean, I I love Deacon, and it's great in black white, and as I said in the previous draft, it can be great in blue white. But I think that Weaver, I, I tend to actually like being in multiple different colors to start my drafts in this format. I want to leave myself the most possible lanes to explore should something be open. And I think taking Water Trap Weaver 
what it does is it says, okay, I can pair it with this Hammer Skull for a great blue-white deck. I can pair it with this Fathom Fleet Captain for a great blue-black deck. Or, hey, maybe the next pack is going to have Shapers of Nature or a uh, River Herald's Boon and not much else, and I can potentially even be Merfolk um, and find the right lane. So for me, I think that Water Trap Weaver is like on power level with Deacon. They're both very good cards, but Weaver leaves me the most possible lanes to explore the best deck. Yeah, we've talked about that on the podcast, like the fact that in this format, I, I kind of actively want to be in multiple colors, like have my, I think it's almost better to have your first three picks spread across three colors because it leaves you so much more flexible than if you go like vampire, 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 and then vampires gets cut. That's so true. I would be, I really like Water Trap Weaver and I agree with this like idea of being in multiple colors, but I think there's a real argument for if you did go cutlass hammer skull to take zeal here i think i'm not taking zeal as high as i should be uh even 200 drafts deep just the card is consistently a blowout and consistently impressive to me and as we talked about the removal is clunky and this is essentially removal that i wonder if it's just like i really want to play hammer skull because it's one of the best cards in the format i want to like pick up on white if i can so i would take zeal i I think i would probably fold and take water trap weaver just because it also leaves me open and if i do end up in blue white i'm probably gonna rather have a water trap weaver than a zeal anyway depending on how the deck shakes out but i think it's pretty close yeah uh i took neither of those cards i ended up on anointed deacon here uh i already had a black card and a white card i wanted to play we'd seen called the feast past uh, and then i saw this anointed deacon which was making me think that maybe vampires was open um Mm. so i took deacon here and i was looking to draft vampires next pick i don't think i think that's probably all the really interesting picks here uh i I snapped up a pious interdiction and then some paladins of the bloodstain and i actually ended up in a black white kind of non-vamp stack it was like medium vamps more more black white grindy than anything else nice but yeah the start of that draft was super super interesting lots of different directions you could go in and they say ixalan is a boring format (laughs) get out of here so we want to look to be wrapping up this show in just a little bit, but I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about your philosophy in reviewing drafts or games, because that's something you bring up a lot when you're in my Twitch chat, Ryan, of like, oh, this might be an interesting game to go back and look at, because I think like turn four was a super interesting decision point. So for people out there looking to improve and level up, and for people like me who are looking to improve and level up, what sorts of things are you looking for when you go to review drafts or games? Like what sparks that interest in you to go, oh, that's a game I want to go back to look at and and what are you trying to find there sure so one of the things that i think is maybe not the most important skill but a very important skill when it comes to playing magic is identifying turns that are like the crux of the game often there will be a couple turns in any game where you're aware that whatever decision you make you have four three five decisions whichever one you choose doesn't matter which one is going to have a large impact on the outcome of the actual game And those decisions are often difficult. So reviewing those games, especially I would really advocate for not reviewing the games alone. I'll Skype in a friend to get outside opinion and and so on to just really look over my game. And I'll go to the turns that I view as, okay, I had a couple decisions here. I made this one, but I want to talk over the other options because I felt that all of these decisions were really going to shape the way that the game turns out. So identifying those key turns and then looking over them in depth when you have time is a really great way to improve. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I never thought about getting that sort of outside opinion of, of someone to sort of like figure out what they would do in a vacuum or in the dark, like before they know what you did or how what you did spiraled into multiple other decision trees that maybe they wouldn't consider. That That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and, and you'd be really surprised. You might, you know, go to that turn and say, okay, well, I was looking at these three lines and, you know, you, you go down the different trees and then the person that you're talking to about this is like, well, what I would do isn't even one of those three things. Like, yeah. Look at this potential option and you just entirely missed it. Um, and even if that's not necessarily what was correct, it just gets you used to seeing games a little bit broader because everybody has their own way of playing. Everybody... You know, you're used to playing, right, with yourself. That's how you play Magic. You are in your own head, and you go over the different decisions and what you see, and other people might be seeing different things, and it's always really useful to hear what they would do. I also think it's worth noting that it is best, for me at least, to wait a couple days before going back to review, because that gives me the best way of being surprised by what I did. Because if I go back and review it as soon as the game is over, it's 
I'm unable to separate what I did as being like the quote unquote correct move to do. But if a few days later, I'd, I'm often like, oh, wait, why? Why did I do that? I definitely should have done this thing instead. So I think a, a couple days breather, at least for me, is a, a really refreshing way to see the draft in a new light or see the, the game in a new light. The other thing that I do look at, by the way, with this is usually if uh, if I'm if near the end of the game, there was a line that I could take it was that was playing around cards, right? It's like, oh, if they have dive down, I should do this. But if they have, uh, you know, cancel, I should do this or sort of things like that is I'll, I'll watch very carefully over the course of the game to see if there was information I could glean on which card that was from the way that my opponent was playing. And when you do this and then you get to the turn where you made that decision, you can see way more clearly that your opponent may have one or the other. There was an example in um, an Hour of Devastation draft that I was doing where I went for the kill and my opponent had Sandblast and I lost the game. I had decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to lose this game if it keeps going, so I should just go for it. You know, if they have it, they have it. And when I went and rewatched that game, they had to have it based on the way that they were they were playing the game because of a turn that they, on like turn five, they, they had double spelled in a way that made me think that they couldn't have it, but they couldn't have made that line if they hadn't had it because they had held up Sandblast. I know that is probably hard to follow. <laughs> um, and, and sorry for, <laughs> for the audience if it's difficult, but there was a sequence in the early turns that if I had paid attention to how they had held up mana and cast spells that really made it likely that they had Sandblast. And then later in the game, I could have played to win the game should they have Sandblast and I didn't. So rather than having that mentality of like, well, if they have it, they have it, you should have been able to see like, they definitely have it. How do I win the game with them having it in their exactly. hand? Yeah. Um, and it's really good to review games that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would just like to add on to, and we keep talking about it, but you should stream like I've, I've <laughs> or, or send draft videos to friends or have friends over. I've gotten so much better just from streaming and Twitch chat, like talking about lines uh, and right. show, showing me better lines that I didn't even see. Like just last night, I, like it was something stupid with the signet and plays in the early turns. And I was going to regrow a land. And I was just like, I was considering two options that were both like suboptimal for a third option that I just didn't see. And somebody typed it in Twitch chat and I was like, oh, awesome. That's like way better. I wouldn't have seen it. And like, I think I'm a better magic player as a result of that. That sort of stuff is invaluable. And I, we've said it before, Ryan, but you're on the show now, but you, you've been a, a huge help in, in both Ben and I uh, improving in this format and especially the Beard episode, like really taking the reins in some of our drafts to, to see things that we wouldn't normally see. And I'm incredibly grateful for your internet magic friendship. <laughs> well, thank you. I think our listeners have benefited as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we're going to look to wrap up the show here. Where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you, Ryan, and see the great content that you're producing? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at RCSax. I also write twice a week for StarCityGames.com. My articles go up on Tuesdays and Thursdays, although there haven't been in the last two weeks because I've been in exams and I took a, a break, but they should be coming back next week. They're going to be until, I believe, the release or close to that of Rivals, We'll be doing some cube lightning picks where I just have a bunch of different cube packs and options nice. and just, you know, uh, shelling all of those out. Um, so that's that's where you can find my content. Great. Uh, likewise, you can find me and Ben on Twitter. I am at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. We're also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Ben, we got some exciting vintage cube announcements here. Yeah, we have our Vintage Cube treasure hunt going on. Uh, so here is the achievement list for the Vintage Cube. Uh, just as a reminder, we published this last week's episode. The first one, win the game with your opponent controlling no permanence. I've already checked that off twice. Gross. Infinite Loop Time Walk. Number three, Mind Slaver lock your opponent. Already checked that one off. Win the game with Storm Count 15+. plus. Could have checked that one off, but I like was under pressure and melting on stream trying to play storm so i didn't get it checked off i have that would be nice and number five turn two and eldrazi um so those are your five achievements if you complete all five you get entered into a giveaway for a draft set of either like vintage cube 
or Rivals of Ixalan, whatever you prefer. And January 15th, I believe, is the end date for the Vintage Cube, so that will be the cutoff for that. Yeah, for sure. So so get at us on Twitter or email us at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Uh, when you post on Twitter, make sure to hashtag VC Treasure Hunt, Vintage Cube Treasure Hunt, and uh, we'll, we'll see those and, and shout them out on Twitter or stream or, or the podcast, wherever. I have uh, another announcement here. Uh, I just appeared on... So Sandball49 is a another Twitch streamer, and he started a Magic Life podcast. I am featured on the second episode, so if you want to hear an interview with me, uh, you just like can't get enough of, of me talking in your ear, uh, go ahead and download that, subscribe to his podcast. Uh, the first episode was with another streamer and Irish national champion Dave C., uh, Dave Murphy, and uh, the second episode is with yours truly. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com, and thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Ryan, for appearing on the show. And we'll catch you next week for the final episode of Lords of Limited in 2017. That's so insane. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.